Joining me now, I have Dr. Mark Jenkins. He is an immunologist who heads the University of Minnesota Center for Immunology, and he's delivering two lectures today. They're going to be virtually at Minnesota State Mankato's as part of the 31st Leonard A. Ford Lectureship. Both are free and open to the public. And Dr. Jenkins talked this morning at 9 o'clock. We'll be speaking again tonight. So uh, we'll welcome and we'll talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. Good morning, Dr. Jenkins. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I am doing well. So you are going to be chatting about tonight. It's called How Your Immune System Responds to Viral Infection and Vaccines. Of course, a very timely topic in relation to COVID. So what has your work in relation to this been like? What sort of research have you done? Well, I've been working on the immune system for my whole career. I've been here at the University of Minnesota since 1988. So I guess, what's that, 30, 33 years? <laughs> and um, my lab is uh, <clears throat> focused on studying um, how vaccines work. And specifically, you know, vaccines stimulate very specific cells within the, within the immune system that are matched to the infection of interest. And so, you know... You, a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2 stimulates lymphocytes that are specific for that particular infection and are not specific for chickenpox or HIV. And so we are interested in that problem of how is the immune system so specific and then how can we use that information to um, understand immunity that follows natural infection or, or vaccination. So we want to track the part of the immune system that matters for any particular vaccine or infection. Have you researched other types of vaccines, whether it's for, like you mentioned, chickenpox or, or whatever? Is that something you look at in terms of figuring out the new SARS virus? Yeah, most of, um, most of my past research uh, in, in the area of infection is related to salmonella infection. Okay. You know, so salmonella causes food poisoning. And uh, we don't have very effective vaccines against salmonella. There is a there is a traveler's vaccine, but uh, that's where most of my work has has uh, been. Although I've done some work on influenza virus infection, you know, which is also you know a big concern looming in the future. Did any of your research concentration change once COVID nineteen came? Has that been something you've been focusing on, or working with others who have? You know that it's interesting because there were there was very little research going on anywhere in the country on coronaviruses. If you remember, the, there was a um, coronavirus uh, outbreak in the early two thousands, um, the original SARS, and um, you know which was a very scary infection and um, ha- had a much higher mortality rate than SARS CoV two, but it burned out re- very quickly and research kind of lay fallow in that area uh, for for many years and so um, the field had to me included then had to quickly pivot to um, start working on SARS-CoV-2 and but the we had developed technologies that let us study vaccine specific lymphocytes you know over many years and so we it was easy to apply these tools to this new problem. Do you know why that the original SARS, and I remember that you mentioned it in the 2000s, why that was just sort of left unstudied and just sort of dropped? Yeah, it's a, it, it tells us something about how research gets supported, in the, in the, at least in the United States. So um, there were very few SARS infections in the United States, 
And so most, most funding for research in, in our country comes from the National Institutes of Health, mm-hmm. which is rightly so focusing on health problems of Americans. And the other um, issue was that the, you know, the infection t- kind of ended itself so quickly that that lulled us into a you know false sense of security that you know this type of virus was gone forever. That obviously was a mistaken uh, impression, uh, but it led to funding kind of drying up for that kind of you know coronavirus research. What I guess do do scientists think why that just sort of dropped and died out? Well, that it, that kind of virus, um, the, the the original SARS virus was was even more transmissible than the current uh, SARS-CoV-2. And so viruses like that, Ebola would be another virus like that, that um, are very transmissible, quickly find all the susceptible hosts, and either, you know, those hosts either die or, or develop immunity, and then the virus has nowhere to go. And so it runs out of susceptible hosts quickly, and the infection ends quickly. I mean, that's one, that's one reasonable theory to explain that. But I'm wondering why it didn't get transmitted, like, to the United States, for example, because was that mainly in Asia back then as well? Or Yeah, yes, it was mainly an Asian um, virus. And, you know, again, there was some research on it, but, you know, it has not been studied as extensively as one would hope. So, you know, in, in a lot of cases... You know, we, we've seen these super spreader mm-hmm. kind of events with SARS-CoV-2 here. You know, maybe in that era we got lucky and didn't get a super spreader come to the United States. And, um, you know, that we dodged a bullet there. Although there, there, were, there were infections in the U.S., if I recall, but it was, it was limited, thank goodness. Right. So with the new SARS-CoV-2, I know they, they pinpointed on China... But is that actually where it started, or could it have been in the environment elsewhere as well and just maybe didn't get spread around so much? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a study, you know, that's a topic of intense study and controversy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, all I could say is most uh, in, in viral infections like coronavirus, this coronavirus infection that we know about in the past are what are known as zoonotic infections, meaning they come from other animals, in which the virus is more adapted, so the virus can spread more easily, usually without causing a lot of disease, because the virus wants to replicate without killing the host, because that's then a not you know that host isn't available anymore. So, so the, the, most of the you know virologists believe that this is another zoonotic infection, probably from bats, oh. uh, but you know in 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 the past establishing the real cause of a zoonotic infection can take, you know, 10 years. Because, you know, you have to go out in the field, you know, trap these wild animals, and then um, do virological tests to see if they're infected. And, you know, it's a really huge uh, undertaking. This new uh, SARS-CoV-2, and they talk about the variants, how effective can vaccines be? How do they work, I guess, to help people understand that in, in simple terms, if that's possible? Yeah, so the the original virus has a protein on its uh, on its surface called the spike protein, and uh, that protein binds to a receptor on cells in our lungs, and that interaction is critical for the virus to enter our lung cells and cause infection. And so the the vaccine that we have is directed against 
contains the original spike protein and, 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 and creates a very intense antibody response against the spike. But, but the virus is continually evolving and creating variants. And some of those, in the Delta variant has the capacity really to infect people more efficiently than the original virus. But if you look at the structure of its spike, it's very similar to the wild type, the, which, the original virus, sorry, left in the jargon there. And so many antibodies that bind the, the original virus still bind to Delta. And so that's the reason that the vaccine has still been very effective, even in the Delta era, because the antibodies against the original strain, the original version that's in the vaccine, can still bind to the, to the Delta version. There are many people that are still hesitant to get a vaccine because they feel it was developed too fast. How do you respond to them? This was, you know, the, the, the process of developing this was faster than normal. There's no doubt about that. You know, that was driven by the perceived need to, to stop the pandemic. As far as I know, the, the, the process was done to completion. And, you know, this is not the first vaccine this is, you know, an, a variation on a vaccine theme that's many, many, many years old. And so the kind of trial that had to be done was known. It was, no, it was known how to do it. The number of subjects was, you know, incredibly large. And the efficacy data are really quite remarkable. There are, vac- there are side effects with all vaccines. Mm-hmm. And the most serious is, is, is a very intense allergic reaction to some component in the vaccine and but those are extremely rare you know something like you know one, one in a hundred thousand vaccine doses might cause such a, an allergic reaction and that that's why i don't know if there, there's this period where after you get your shot they want you to stay for 15 minutes right well if you're if you're going to have an intense allergic reaction to the vaccine it'll manifest itself in 15 minutes and so but again, those are extremely rare, and th- when those occur, they have to be reported to the CDC, and then the CDC does an investigation to determine, is it likely that the vaccine caused that, or was it a coincidence? And so many things that are reported to the adverse side effect system at CDC upon investigation are found out to be a, a it's not obvious they were from caused by the vaccine. You know, anything that you do 300 million times is going is to coincide with, with some bad thing. You know, that doesn't mean the one caused the other. Sure. So these, these vaccines are as safe as any in history. They're in, they've been given to an enormous, you know, what, what, what we're up to, 190 million people. And so the, the, the reward is so much greater than the risk that it's difficult to me to, for to understand the the continued uh, hesitancy in people for getting the vaccine. I agree with you, but you know, <laughs> it is hard to convince some people for sure. You know, every year we we've, we've been getting shots for the flu, and initially people were saying it's just the flu; it's not a big deal. How does this really differ from the flu? If you were as a scientist to to help us understand that, yeah, it's different in in, in two I guess in two important ways. No, number one, it, it can cause a more serious infection in more people. So in in, in that way, at least when we think about the the normal kind of seasonal influenza, 
and it's more, it has a harder time creating variants, believe it or not. I know we hear a lot about variants, but influenza can create variants that can completely evade any prior immunity. And so coronaviruses have a harder time doing that. That's why their infections are, are, the vaccines are still effective against variants. They differ in that way. So, you know, flu, in a, in a really bad flu season, we might have, you know, I'm, I'm on the order of 20 to 30,000 influenza-related deaths, and that pales in comparison to the 650,000 deaths we've had from SARS-CoV-2. Why do you think, then, that we have had so many fewer flu deaths compared with COVID-19 deaths? I know that's what some people are saying. Why um, is that? Had the flu years been different than in previous years? Well, one thing, um, mask, mask wearing has reduced. The, the, the rates of almost all respiratory infections are way down mm-hmm. because they masks protect people from those respiratory infections. And so that's probably the main reason the flu is down recently. So as an immunologist, would you recommend wearing, just to continue wearing masks? To, to me, I, f- I feel like it's prevented me from getting cold, sore throats, and that sort of thing because I really didn't have any. So is that something you yeah. continue to say, hey, if it, it really works then? Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's a, it's a minor inconvenience. I get it. It's an, yep. in, it, it, it's an inconvenience. But it's protecting you not only from SARS-CoV-2, but it's protecting you, as you mentioned, from many, many. You now, I know many people who, you know, not, you know, me included, knock on wood, you know, haven't had a, a respiratory infection since this started of any kind. All right. Same, so, um, same here. No sore throats, it, it, nothing. Yeah. So that's because the masks do produce a physical barrier. But, you know, especially now in the, as the Delta variant, even though these vaccines are really effective, I think hanging in there with masks to, to reduce that, the pandemic, is we still need to be doing that. And I, I think this thing's going to inflect and we are going to really start to see some good progress. We just got to hang in there a little longer with this inconvenience. Well, when you say inflect, what does that mean? That, that, that means that we're going to see our, start to see a rapid decline in the number of new cases because more and more people are getting vaccinated, and eventually the virus is going to find all these unvaccinated people, mm-hmm. and that's either going to make them really sick and they'll die, or they'll have their immunity from their, their infection. So every day that goes on, I, there is going to be it's going to be harder and harder for the vaccine for the virus to find a what we call immunologically naive person for, with respect to this virus. So I hope I'm right about that. And in the past, when when you kind of hit that point of where there's the virus starts having a hard time finding susceptible hosts, it declines quickly. So there are still naysayers about saying, well, people who are vaccinated are still getting it, so the vaccines don't work. What do you say to that? Yeah, there's been some bad bad information around that. Yes, Vaccines really um, have never prevented infection because they work by, by antibodies that are in, inside your body. So the, your antibodies don't, don't create a halo around your body that prevents the infection from even entering. And so if you are vaccinated you can have be infected, have virus enter your body. And we now have these incredibly sensitive tests that can detect that. But most of that virus will be instantly coated with antibodies. And then, and 
cannot establish uh, a productive infection. And so vaccinated people, although they can be infected, those infections usually don't go anywhere. So operationally speaking, they're protected. Now, we've all gotten used to getting annual flu shot updates because the that virus changes. Are we going to be yep. seeing this the same with the COVID-19, maybe having to do regular booster shots, I guess you'd call them? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that, that's an open question. As I mentioned, the SARS-CoV-2 has a harder time making variants than influenza virus. Okay. So I'm hopeful that we're not going to need as, as frequent a boost for this virus as we do for flu. But I think we will have to see, you know, I guess the worst case scenario is because we haven't had, you know, 100% vaccine uptake, that we'll get a variant of SARS-CoV-2 that's worse than Delta for which the current immunity isn't as protective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that would then require a new round of vaccination. But there's things about this virus that suggest annual boosters are going to be less likely. Once you've had it, though, once you've, let's say you you contracted COVID, a lot of people think that they are immune then. Are they or should they still get a shot? I mean, how does that work in terms of how your body protects itself? Yeah, yeah. Many of those people will have will have lifelong immunity and probably don't need a shot. Okay. But what what's clear is that the variability in people with natural and the amount of immunity people get from natural infection is huge, and that probably relates to some people get very few viral particles that they inhale, others get a huge dose, and then their immune response is kind of scaled to that dose. So there's some people who probably have very mild infections who have very, very basically mild immunity. And so if they get a Delta variant infection, they could be in trouble. So I, I, again, because the side effect rate is, you know, the really nasty side effect rate is so low, there, it really it makes a lot of sense for people to get vaccinated even if they'd had a prior infection, just in case you were a person who was at that low end of natural infection and didn't get as potent immunity as you probably would like. What will you be talking about tonight at the the forum, online forum, for folks that are listening in that might want to know more about what you'll be dis- discussing? Yeah, I'll, be talk- I'll just be talking in general about how the immune system detects in- viral infections and produces a state of immunity. And then I'll, I'll, I'll be dealing with a lot of the issues that you and I have discussed try to make clear some some things that have been in the media that um, may be confusing to people. And then and then just there's probably some young people who will be listening in. I, I'd like to get them excited about the topic of immunology and maybe inspire them to enter the field because there's a, many other aspects of immunology that are very exciting, especially in the area of cancer, hmm. where harnessing the immune system is creating cures for cancer that just were unthinkable 10 years ago. So that's kind of what I hope to uh, achieve. But the lecture tonight will be much more less technical than the one this morning. Sure. And uh, more designed, aimed for a lay audience. But that's my goal. Dr. Jenkins, what made you get interested in immunology? I've always, I've been, I was fascinated with biology, you know, when I was a young person. And I was fascinated by the capacity of the immune system to respond to almost anything that was foreign to our body. Like, how could the immune system possibly know how to respond to 
the thousands of different microbes we're confronted with. And we actually now can make immune responses against chemicals. There are now vaccines oh. against opioids. Really? And nicotine. Yes. And so that, so I, beca- I was fascinated by that problem of, you know, how can you make a specific immune response to almost any foreign thing? So I've been chasing that problem for three decades. I mean, could that be the same for like a, be immune to like glyphosate sprays, things like that that are harmful in the environment? Yep. Really? Almost any chemical, almost any chemical structure that we don't already have in our body, it's possible to make an antibody against under the appropriate conditions. But our immune system is really has a has this filter when lymphocytes are developing. Any lymphocyte that is has a receptor that's specific for one of our own molecules gets eliminated from our body. So we're just left with lymphocytes that are specific for things that aren't in our body. And we have so many lymphocytes, each one with a different receptor, we can respond to almost any different thing, including opioids, nicotine, aspirin, you know, almost very, so, you know, that, you know, the question of would we want to make a vaccine for things like that is, of course, you know, debatable, but the immune system has the potential to do that. I have a question from a listener saying, can you get COVID from the shot? That is one of the, I think, the myths that's been out there. Could you respond to that? Zero chance. Absolutely zero. I don't know where that, shot, where do you think that came from? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. And we, th- there is no chance because the shot contains one of the viral c- components there are the virus itself has 20 at least critical components so the vaccine is missing 19 of the 20 critical components that the virus needs to live so it's an inanimate piece of the virus there is no chance well it sounds like there is every reason to get the vaccine and no reason not to yeah i i hearken back to you know i, I i'm old enough to remember when there there were cases of polio mm-hmm. and which was a you know an incredibly de- devastating disease people lived in abject fear of polio and you know when the vaccines became available you know they were viewed as just an incredible boon to the world and people were so excited to get vaccinated and we've and because of the worldwide vaccination program polio is eradicated from, from most countries in the world, and if there weren't a few holdout countries left that didn't have good polio coverage, we would have eliminated the, the infection from the face of the earth. So I, I wrestle with what is different in the psychology of people be, in the polio era to now, because it's, it's really the same kind of problem. We are talking with Dr. Mark Jenkins, who is the head of the Center for Immunology at the University of Minnesota, who will be talking tonight as part of the Leonard A. Ford Lectureship at 7.30. It's virtual, so if you want to find out how to get there, go to the Minnesota State University website, MNSU, and click on the featured events, and you will find the link to hear his talk virtually at 7.30 tonight. Uh, We are out of time, unfortunately, but thank you for your information. Very, very interesting, and wish you well, and and thanks so much for spending your time with us. You too. Bye-bye. Be safe. Okay, thanks.